you like to fill in blanks, this is a good weekend for you because the weekend handout has an outline in it with many blanks just awaiting your ready pencil or pen. And we'll be giving you a chance to fill in all the blanks as we review this entire series, What Happens When Grace Happens. Before I begin the message, would you pray with me the prayer that we always offer when we enter into this conversation about grace. Dear God of all grace, please grant us the grace and grant us the <clears throat> Amen. Most parts of the country have their preferred vacation destination. New York City has the Hamptons. Chicagoans like to escape to northern Michigan. For the short time that I lived in Alabama, I heard all about the Gulf Coast. And for the time that I lived in Miami, I heard all about the Carolinas. When I grew up in, in West Texas, everybody talked about Colorado, the Rocky Mountains. Not that the Rockies had anything that West Texas does not. <clears throat> West Texas has water. It's just that ours is in a big cattle tank and West Texas has mountains, it's just that our mountains were made of sand, and West Texas has a wonderful fragrance, but it's not evergreen trees, no, it's, uh, it's oil and what cows do. We have, we have our own particular reasons to uh, love Colorado, and so everybody, it seemed, in our little West Texas town had some kind of connection to the Rockies. Uh, my friend Carl, for example, kept uh, pinned to his bulletin board a... Uh, Postcard, Pike's Peak postcard. I know he did that because I sent him the postcard. That was his only connection, but he had a connection with the Rockies. Ask him about Colorado, he could show you a postcard. I had a deeper connection. Our family went to Colorado for one week every summer. My dad loved to fish and camp, and that was his preferred vacation. So we'd load up the family in a car and drive and unpack the tents and the sleeping bags and stay in Colorado for a whole week. I could tell you all about Colorado. I experienced it once a week, but I couldn't tell you anything about Colorado compared to the Simpsons. You see, the Simpsons went to Colorado uh, on vacation from our West Texas town and they never came back. They just decided they liked it so much we never saw them again. So Carl had his postcard the Lakatos had their one week of memories, experiences, and photographs. But the Simpsons, oh, their life was shaped by the mountains. Their days were defined by the Rockies. They gave up the flatlands for the mountains. Their world began to be shaped by where they lived. As we bring this series to a close about grace... I want to invite you to move into the land of grace. To let grace shape your life. To let it define the way you live. Let it be the determining factor, the biggest and greatest idea to ever come into your world that eclipses every other discovery that you've ever made. This discovery of God's grace. Everybody's heard of it. Everyone you know has at least a postcard definition of grace. Oh, by God's grace, 
there but by the grace of God they'll go I it's a part of our vocabulary we have a song called amazing grace we even sing it at sporting events everybody has a postcard interpretation of grace they know that some people say grace before they eat and some people get a grace period on their test they have a postcard awareness of grace but not you you're going out of the postcard dimension you're even going beyond the tourist dimension many people you know have a souvenir awareness of grace they escape into grace when times get tough but then they come back into the flatlands into the heat they don't live in grace but we we're going to start living in grace we're going to start inhaling grace we're going to live just just one step away from the the, the, the bubbling brook of God's mercy and dwell the pike's peak of his perspective this is his invitation to you to let grace happen to you some people just happen to know about grace not you you're gonna let grace happen to you because when grace happens things happen first of all gifts are given we tried to get Vanna White to come and flip our cubes today, but she was unavailable, so Daniel's helping out. <laughs> Gifts are given. Isn't it something that at its very core, salvation is a gift? It is a gift. It is nothing that we earn, but it is everything that God gives. It is at its very core, a gift. You have been saved by grace through believing you did not save yourselves it was a gift from God <laughs> we in the Western world pride ourselves on being hard-working people we value the early riser the problem solver the hour investor we raise our kids telling them hard work will get you far in this world and it will but not in God's in God's economy, your hard work does not matter. His work matters all. This is what makes grace difficult for some of us because it goes so contrary to everything else. But what God has to give you is so great that you cannot earn it. You do not have what it takes to make even a down payment on the gift that He wants to give you you and I are spiritually bankrupt, poverty-stricken. The Federal Bankruptcy Code divides financially troubled people into two groups, Chapter 7 and Chapter 11. Those who file for bankruptcy under Chapter 11 are passing through a season of insolvency, but in time, they will survive. They'll get back on their feet. The folks in chapter 7 will not when you file for chapter 7 bankruptcy you've reached the end of your financial rope your assets are gone your credit is shot your books are bathed in red ink you're overdrawn you're destitute you're dead broke now people of postcard level grace they file chapter 11 they just want enough grace to help them get back on their feet but we have learned that when grace happens to us, that we don't need chapter 11, we're chapter 7. Call us the church of the chapter 7. Because we're dead broke spiritually. We're destitute morally. And we need not help, but we need a Savior. 
And we agree with the scriptures that say there is no one righteous, no one, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. At our core, we need to be rescued. We don't need swimming lessons. We need a life preserver. We need somebody to reach us. We need someone to save us. And that's what we have. God in His kindness. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. It's like God saw us standing in a soup line at the homeless shelter. He said, is anyone here poor enough to accept what I have to give? And we raised our hands. And when we did, we received His grace. We received the aggressive forgiveness called grace. We are gifted people. Aggressive enough to change our status. To change us just from people who take to people who give. This is what happens when grace happens. We move from takers to givers. From those who make demands to those who give thanks. From those who have a hard time loving people who find, it, find ourselves able to love even unlovable people. Because grace changes the way we look at people. We live and give generously. Acknowledging though we can never outgive God because God is the one who gave the greatest gift of all. And that is the gift of redemption. Through Him, we are redeemed. Perhaps you've heard the story of the little boy who built a sailboat. Just a small boat, not big enough for anybody to, to ride in, but, but big enough for him to, to show to all of his friends. With his father's help, he, he designed and built a, a small toy sailboat. Painted it red, white, and blue. Put a mast on it with white sails. It was quite a sight as he would take it out to the lake every day of the summer. And with the help of a rope so it wouldn't float away, he would walk along the coastline of the lake, sailing his little sailboat. One day some friends invited him to come and play baseball for a while, and so he tied the rope to the pier, left the boat in the water, went and played baseball, and when he came back he realized the knot was not tight enough. And the boat, well the sail had caught a, brush of breeze and disappeared nobody knew where the boat went he spent the rest of the day walking up and down the shoreline he went and got his father they couldn't find the boat they looked again the next day they couldn't find the boat the boy was broken hearted he had lost his boat in hopes of lifting the boy's spirits the father said let's go to town and have an ice cream so they went to the nearby town and they were walking through the street when they passed a pawn shop and the boy looked in the pawn shop and guess what he saw his boat somebody had brought the boat to the pawn shop he said dad there's my boat and the father said are you sure son he said yeah it's got that insignia on it I, that's my boat and he went into the store and he went up to the store owner and he said sir I want my boat back and the store owner said, that's not your boat, that's my boat. I bought it. I bought it yesterday from a fisherman who brought it in. I, I paid for it. And, and the boy said, but that's my boat. And he explained why it was and explained how he lost it. And, and he said he wanted it back. And, the, and the, fisher, the, the, the man said, but I paid the fisherman. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give it to you. I'll sell it to you for the exact amount of money that I paid the, the fisherman for it. The boy's face brightened. He said, I'll buy it. And he bought his boat. 
And he and his father walked out of the store, and as they walked out of the store, the father overheard the son say to the boat, Now you are mine twice. I made you, and I bought you. God says that about you. You are his twice. Would you believe me when I say that you are his idea? He designed you. He created you. He places insignia upon you. You are a child of God. But then you and I, we drifted. We, we came untied. We, we lost our grip on our moorings and we, we drifted away. But he didn't abandon us. No, he found us. He found us and he paid for us. The, the word the Bible uses for this is he redeemed us. And consequently we are twice his. Once he made us and once he bought us. This is the recurring theme of scripture. That Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. In full view of the entire creation you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. You see, you were deemed worthy of life when God made you. You were redeemed for eternity when He saved you. Don't let anybody question your value. It has been declared once and for all, not because of the way you look, not because of what you know, but because of the one who made you and then bought you and because He has redeemed you, you can rest. <laughs> and this rest that we have is a real rest. It's a rest that goes deep into our soul. We're not trying to win God's favor or get God's attention. We have been once and for all purchased by our Redeemer. And as proof, He says that we are accepted. Accepted by Him. Accepted by God. Several years before His death... The Swiss theologian Karl Barth came to the United States for a series of lectures considered by most to be the finest theologian of our generation. He made a series of lectures at different universities. After one particular lecture, a seminary student asked Dr. Barth the question. He said, of all the ideas you've had about God, what is the greatest idea you've ever had? And in what is now a, a famous answer, the aged professor thought for a minute and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Doesn't get any greater than that. The great discovery that we are accepted by God, that He predestined us to be adopted by himself as sons through Jesus Christ such being his gracious will and pleasure you see God through his gift by his redemption has moved you into his family accepted by God acquitted by God adopted by God into his family you are accepted in the beloved as I reflect back on this sermon series, there is one encounter 
that I'll never forget. We were studying this very topic of being accepted and adopted and acquitted. And after the service, a teenage girl in our congregation came to visit with me. I, I know her well. I always ask her how she's doing because in her young life she's experienced more rejection than many of us have experienced in, in, as adults in our entire life. She's, she's had a very challenging life. But she's soldiering on and she's doing her best. And I asked her that day, I said, how are you doing it? How are you doing? How are you handling everything? And she smiled and she said, well, today was a good day because you convinced me that I am not the exception to God's acceptance. She believes now she's not the exception to God's acceptance. What happened? Grace happened to her. Grace happened to her. Some of you think you're the exception to God's acceptance. And when people tell you that God loves you, there's a deflect, there's some type of mysterious force field around your mind. And it rejects that thought. And it says, well, God loves everybody, you bet, but not me. He accepts everyone, of course, but not me. He died for everybody, I know, but not me. Now by God's grace you know better, don't you? Don't you know better? And you can by the power of God stand in utter defiance of that voice and tell it to shut up. To be quiet. Because the authority of heaven has definitively spoken. The verdict has been rendered. He has evaluated your life from beginning to end, from stem to stern, he knows you more than you know you. And he has decided he wants to accept you into, your, into his family. And you know what happens when this level of grace happens? Not only do you allow God to accept you, but then you start accepting others. The craziest thing is, you start forgiving people who are hard to forgive because God has forgiven you. You find a love for people that are hard to love because you realize that God has loved you. You accept abundantly and you begin giving this love to other people and better said really it's not you doing this but it's Christ because as he accepts you he changes your name and he calls you a Christian in other words Christ moves in he takes up residence within you he begins to change the power source of your life. We can call this a heart transplant. He removes your old heart and he places within the new heart. Now it takes a while for the body to get accustomed to the new heart and the new heart to get accustomed to the body. But we begin to discover that what we cannot do, Christ can. You can't get over that old attitude, that's okay, Christ can and he lives inside you. You cannot forgive an enemy, that's okay, Christ can, and He lives inside you. You can't get beyond the guilt, that's okay, keep praying, keep trying, because you will, because Christ can, and He lives inside you. Paul says that the mystery in a nutshell is this. Christ is where, church? In you. Christ is in, not just near you, not just for you, but Christ is in you. Therefore, you can look forward to sharing God's glory. It's that simple. God has permanently joined himself to you. You are one with him. He is one with you. As a result, you are complete. 
You are holy and blameless and above reproach. He has perfected forever those he has sanctified. You can stop trying to be the person you already are. <laughs> he has already made you what he wants you to be. He has saved you. Now he's just sanctifying you. He's just training you. You don't have to impress God anymore. He is your friend. And because he is, you can confess gladly. No more secrets. No more running from God. You can go quickly to God. Confess to him all your fears. Confess to him all your transgressions. Confess to him all your anxiety. He becomes not just the one you occasionally visit on vacation once a year when you escape. No, you have picked up your roots and moved into the highlands of grace. And you commune with him because there is no fear that he will ever reject you. Why? Because he has established you. We are established by grace. He has conferred upon us a new position. It's not just an occasional kindness, but he has conferred this upon us. As a result, we can expect eternally. It changes the way we look at this life when we begin looking to the next. You see, God has written your name in the book of life, not with pencil, but with ink. And he does not own an eraser. And once he has a hold of you, he will not let go of you. What's important is not so much your grip on him, but his grip on you. That's what grace is all about. You see, grace secures the saint. Gone is the anxiety that he will change his mind. Dissipated is the fear that he will someday regret his decision to save me. We sink ourselves down in the grace of God, realizing that our future depends not on us, but on Him. And He is faithful, and His covenant is strong. Envision, if you will, a couple of mountain climbers descending the sheer wall of a steep cliff, each carefully looking for the place to grip with their hand or, or, or place their foot, lest they lose their balance and fall. But one wears a safety harness and the other does not. The one with the safety harness climbs with the, and descends with a different attitude, does he not? Grace is this safety harness. Are we still careful? Absolutely. Do we descend without any respect for the fall? No, no. But we trust that if we lose our grip, that he will save us. And who is he? <laughs> Let's make certain that we know. That this teaching is based not just upon some preacher's idea or some decision made by a religious council. No, but we are sustained by the one who delivers us and sustains us. That we have grace only because of Jesus. We have hope only because of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who brought the gift, who shed his blood to redeem us, who accepts us, who gives us his name, and who establishes us for all of eternity. It's all because of him, and it's all for him, because our King Jesus is doing something. He is preparing for himself a populace, a citizenry of people who will live with him in the new kingdom, serve with him forever, justified freely and publicly redeemed and purchased his people he is preparing for himself a people and he invites you to be a part 
of that population. Listen, church, this life is not about this life. This life is not about now. Call it whatever you will, a cocoon, a preparation time, boot camp, training, whatever you want. But the real life is the next life. And this is the time in which God is laying claim to a people who are willing to be redeemed and purchased and established forever with Him in the kingdom of God. Boy, does that change your outlook toward life? You see, if all you think is that life is what happens between the womb and the tomb, there's a lot of questions that go unanswered in this world. Like suffering, like pain, like difficulty, like misery, like hunger, like tsunamis. But if you realize that the purpose of this life is to prepare a purchased people for the life that is to come, when grace happens... Your whole outlook towards life begins to change. A man once went to a market, a farmer's market. And there he saw the most curious thing. A farmer was selling some quail. A covey of quail he had brought to the market. But rather than put them in a cage to display them, the farmer had tied a string to one leg of each of the birds. And then the other end of the string was tied to a ring, and that ring was placed over a pole. And so those birds, those quail, marched in a circle around the maypole, if you will, like the prisoners that they were. Well, the man was a compassionate man, and he said, that's no way to, to treat birds. So he went to the farmer and he said, I'm gonna, I'd like to buy those birds. The farmer said, all of them? He said, every single one of them. And he paid for them. He purchased all of those birds. And then he said to the farmer, now cut the strings and let them go. The farmer said, cut the strings and let them go? He said, yes, I purchased them. Now I'm setting them free. And so the farmer said, well, they're your birds. And so one by one, he clipped the strings so that the quail could fly away. But though the strings were cut, you know what the quail did? Just kept walking in that circle. Just kept walking in that circle. What's got you tied down? What's keeping you from flying away? Are you tied to something in your past? Are you tethered to some regrets, to some failures? Maybe you're, you're tied down to your fear of the future. You know what happens when grace happens? <laughs> we look over at that string and we see it's been cut. And we realize we can extend our wings. And we can fly. We can catch the updraft of God's mercy. And we can soar with the wings that He has given to us. Out of the flatlands into the Colorado of His grace. No more postcard for us. No more occasional visits. We're going to move in. We're going to let grace happen because when grace happens, well, something wonderful begins to happen. Will you make sure, my friends, will you make sure and let this grace happen to you? It is the greatest idea in the history of humanity. It deserves every minute of your life. It deserves every thought of your intellect. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, Be strong 
in the grace which is yours in Christ Jesus. Be strong in it. Be strong in it. Work out in it. Develop your grace muscles and your grace understanding. Plunge yourself into the world of this great and wondrous grace. Because when grace happens, well, I think you know. Let's pray together. Dear great God of grace, now would you please grant us the grace to receive your grace? And would you grant us the grace to live it? In Jesus' name, amen.